Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. Today we are uh, wrapping up our series called Rediscovering Discipleship, and we've been looking at four components to discipleship. And so, uh, for especially for our guests here today, I want to give you a quick recap of what we covered so far. Uh, first of all, we, we talked about the call of discipleship, how Jesus has called each one of us to be his disciples, to save us, but also to be his followers, and uh, also to to, as we're going to look at today, sending us out. But the call comes first. And then we looked at the cost of following Jesus. We talked about how, yes, indeed, salvation is a free gift of God. It's nothing that we can earn or deserve. Uh, we cannot earn our way into heaven. Uh, but uh, there is a cost to following Jesus. There's parts of our lives that we have to give up. There's comforts that we might have to give up. There's conveniences that we might have to give up. And there's convictions upon which we stand that, that are not always popular. And there's a cost that comes along with being a follower of Jesus. Last week, we looked at the third C, the third component, which was the command. And the one greatest commandment that Jesus gave us was to love, to love God first and foremost, but to show that love uh, to each other. And we looked at uh, John chapter 13, where Jesus says, I give you this new command that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, so you also should love one another. And by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love for each other is a testimony, is a testament to the world that we are followers of Jesus. And today we're going to look at the fourth and, and final component, and that is the commission, the commission that Jesus has given us. And I, I'm going to say something. I want you to think whether or not you, if you agree with me. I believe that we often forget that we are in the middle of a mission. Do you agree with me? I, I think we can all relate to that. And I kind of compare it to, um, you know, many of us have maybe been sent by a spouse to the grocery store to get one thing, you know? You're on a mission to pick up one thing. Maybe it's a gallon of milk or a loaf of bread and you get into the store and, and you get distracted by all these other things and all these wonderful snacks and other things that uh, get in the way. And, and maybe you've done this before. Maybe you've picked up a few other things and then forgot that one thing that you went to go get. Uh, that can be so easy, and that can be very easy in our lives as Christians as well. And I, I think quite easily in the church and in American Christianity, we lose sight of the fact that Jesus has called us to fulfill a mission, that we are in the middle of a mission and what we call the Great Commission. We're mostly going to be looking at Mark chapter 3 today, but before we get there, I want us to be reminded of what this Great Commission is from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It should be here up on the screen. I'm going to have you read it along with me. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is the commission that Jesus gives us. And Jesus came and said to them, read along with me, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit 
and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Is that it? There was, I think, one more verse, but that's okay. Jesus says, he is with us always, even to the end of the age. That's a really important part that we're going to jump into a, a little bit later as well. But, but this is the mission that we are called to as disciples. The, the primary command here is to go and make more disciples. And at the end of Mark's gospel, I love how Mark's gospel states it. Mark sixteen fifteen, it says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, to proclaim the good news to the whole creation. And, and sometimes we hear that word gospel, we hear good news, but I want to emphasize today that this is the best news, isn't it? The best news that we have of Jesus Christ, that he has died on the cross for our sins, and that we can go to heaven if we believe in him, that we don't have to just hope that we'll get to heaven. That we can be sure that we can be in heaven forever with our heavenly father in eternity and in paradise forever. That is the best news that we have. And that is the only news that brings us joy. And that is the only news that brings us peace, especially in a time and season in which we're living right now and in a week that we have just been observing the upheaval around the world. It is the best news that we have. And that's what God calls us to, is to go and proclaim that news to the whole creation. But why is it that we so easily forget that we're right in the middle of that mission? I think there's many reasons. I think it's the comforts and the conveniences that are around us. I think that uh, we go about our life and in our culture just to pursue our dreams and our aspirations, our careers, our education, which are all good. But even in the midst of that, we can forget that, that, that we are on a mission, that in everything that we do, it's not that we are called to give up the career are not that we are called to give up the dreams, but within that, Jesus has called us in a mission right where we're at. But I also believe that one of the reasons we lose sight is because often we lack the urgency. We lack the urgency of taking this message into the world. Billy Graham once said, the quote should be here up on the screen. He said, the evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The destiny of men and nations is always being decided. Is that true today? Do we see that being true? Every generation is strategic. And we are not responsible for the past generation. And we cannot bear the full responsibility for the next one. But we do have our generation. And God will hold us responsible as to how well we fulfill our responsibility to this age and take advantage of the opportunities that we have. And wow, do we ever have opportunities right before us? In a broken world, as we just sang about, is do you feel the world is broken? We do, because we, if you turn the news on for just a little while, we, we, we see how broken this world is. If, if you go down the street and, and talk to a neighbor, maybe what they're experiencing, something extremely difficult or a trial that they're going through, you realize that this world is broken and we have this opportunity to take the message of hope into our world, into our community, and into our neighborhoods. And it's true that, that God chooses us 
to reach people with the message of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. And yet, that very fact is simultaneously very daunting, isn't it? That God entrusts us with this message. It's daunting. It can be intimidating in many ways. But at the same time, it's an absolute privilege, isn't it? That God would choose us to take this good news into the world. And remember, we don't do it alone because that verse that wasn't up there with the Great Commission is that Jesus promises his presence with us. He says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the good news today is that Jesus equips us for this mission. He doesn't just turn us loose and leave us on our own. He continues to go with us and go before us in the mission he's called us to. And I want to see that today as we look at Mark chapter 3, 13 through 19. This might not always be a passage that you think of when you think of fulfilling the Great Commission, but we're going to see what, what God has to teach us today and how Jesus equips us for the mission he's called us to through these words in Mark chapter 3. Starting at verse 13, it says, And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed the twelve whom he also named apostles, so they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray. God, these are your words. We pray that you would inspire us today, teach us today, and help us to catch a glimpse, a further glimpse into what this mission is you've called us to, and how Jesus is there with us to equip us for the work that you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how is it that Jesus equips us for this mission? We're going to look at three things today. First of all, he chooses us in his grace. He chooses us in his grace. Note what happens first for the disciples. Verse 13, it says that he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. Now, I don't know what you thought of when you first heard that, that Jesus called those whom he desired, and they came to him. At first, it sounds a little bit selective, doesn't it? It sounds like Jesus is being a little bit exclusive here. Well, Jesus is calling those whom he desired. Well, what about, what about everybody else? <laughs> how, did, how did they get chosen to be a disciple of Jesus? And, and sometimes when we think of the disciples, we can put them up on a pedestal. But did you pay attention to who it was that Jesus called to himself? Did you... Hear the names on that list of Jesus' disciples, his apostles that he chose. Yes, he called those whom he desired, but in doing so, he also called some of the most undesirable. Do you notice that? Because if you know anything about these disciples, as we get to know the characters on this list, and, and many of them, yes, indeed were characters, 
we realize that Jesus called some seriously broken and flawed individuals. In a book called Eating Problems for Breakfast, that's a great title, isn't it? Eating Problems for Breakfast, author Tim Hansel writes a a fictitious letter that a modern-day consulting company might have written to Jesus about his choice of disciples. And I want you to listen to this letter, okay? So this is to Jesus, the son of Joseph. This is from the Jordan Management Consultants. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. And we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. And here's why. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. And we feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, the Jordan Management Consultants. Does Jesus call broken and flawed people to follow him? He does. He does. And and that is great news. It's weird and crazy news, but it is great news for not only the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles that he sent out, but but for each one of us. He says that he called those whom he desired. He calls, continues to call, those whom he desires. And and ultimately, the 12 apostles were called, as we know, in a specific time, in a specific place, for a specific task. But as we see God's story continue to unfold, we're each called to his mission in the specific time and place in which we are living right now. And I don't know where you stand right now, how you feel about being chosen by Jesus. And if you question whether you are chosen, whether Jesus desires you to come to him, first and foremost, to come to him, 
and to be saved, to, for you to place your trust and your hope and your salvation, your salvation into his hands, to be forgiven and cleansed and redeemed by his grace and by his mercy. Whether you question that or not, I want you to hear these words, 1 Timothy 2, 4. It says that God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants to save each one of us. God is not done building his kingdom yet. And he is continuing to draw people to himself. And, and he desires for you to come to him and to know Jesus Christ and to know the salvation that we have in him. And we see as we move forward, it's, it's for a purpose. They're going to be sent out. But before that, the second thing that Jesus does to equip us for the mission is that he draws us into his presence. He not only chooses us in his grace, but he draws us into his presence. And this here is the highest priority, I believe, for being a follower of Jesus. Verse 14, did you pay attention to what it said? It says, and he appointed the twelve... And we automatically sometimes jump to the part about sending them out. But look at what it says. It says, so that they might be with him. And it continues on, but I want to stop there for a second because we can so quickly jump to the part about action, about what it is that Jesus is calling us to do and sending us out to do. It says that, yes, they went out to preach and further to cast out demons, but don't miss this part that they were with him first. They were with Jesus. They spent time in his presence. And I think this is one of the biggest mistakes that we can make as Jesus's followers, is that we can so quickly jump to the part about doing before we are just spending time in his presence. One author I've mentioned his name several times. I think I mentioned his name last week, but Pete Scazzaro in his book on discipleship, he says, our doing for Jesus must flow out of our being with him. Far too often, he says, we live off of other people's spirituality and relate to God while we're busily on the run. Some people, he says, have secondhand spirituality. They might go to church. They might listen to God's word on the radio. They might listen to a podcast. And they might hear what another person says about their relationship with God. And those are all great things. But it's not a substitute for you being quiet and present and listening to God yourself, not always through somebody else. Because we're pretty good at it in, in our American Christian culture to hear what somebody else has to say, aren't we? You know, we're, we, we live in this age of, you know, information, and we have all these resources at our fingertips, literally on our phones, and things that we can listen to, and, and those are all wonderful things, and, and, but we can develop this mindset of, would you just, I'm just going to turn this on, and I'm going to hear what I need to hear from Jesus through somebody else. <laughs> But there's no substitute for you yourself spending time in the presence of Jesus, sitting at his feet. And that's why 
mentioned last week for our Good Shepherd family and new visitors are welcome to join us on this journey this coming week. Um, we're starting Lent, Ash Wednesday coming up. And one of the things that we're going to be doing throughout the six weeks of Lent is uh, spending time in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we are, we are having a uh, Bible reading, 47-day Bible reading challenge, and we're going to be reading through the Gospels together as a church, just individually on our own. But in doing so, we're just going to be spending time with Jesus as we read through the Gospels, as we not only read about his life, we not only just read about it, but we, we experience his presence as we read the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And when we are reading through the Gospels, we are spending time at the feet of Jesus. You know who was really good at doing before being with Jesus was Martha, right? Some of you know the story of Mary and Martha. They were going to have Jesus over to their home, and and it says that Martha was busy and, and upset with many things and all the preparations and the doing, 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 preparing to get ready for Jesus. But she missed the most important part, and Jesus says later that it was Mary that, that chose what was better in that moment. It says that she was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, sitting in the presence of Jesus, hearing from him, learning from him. I'm going to ask you, how is it for you? What, what comes first? Doing for Jesus or being with him? And I have to say that I've experienced this the hard way. I can get so busy on a given day, so busy in a given week, and, and I can just, just in some ways have tunnel vision, and, 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 and I've realized the hard way that I can get into the middle of a day or in the middle of a week and just realize that I am, I am living in my own power, and that never ends well. It always comes out negatively in among those around me, and especially in my family. Because maybe I haven't taken the time, and I'm not just talking about one time a day, but just several times during the day to be aware of the presence of Jesus in my life. Whether that's pausing for a few moments during the day to, to center myself maybe on a passage of Scripture or a verse of Scripture to hear from God. Maybe it's pausing for a moment to, to pray to Jesus and to recognize his presence and whatever I'm going through to, to continue that constant conversation with him. That's what prayer is, is a constant conversation with God. But so easily we can lose sight of the fact that we live in the presence of Jesus. And this was so significant for the disciples that Jesus called them to himself that they would be with him before He sent them out. But the third thing that we see, what he does is that he calls us into spiritual battle. That's what he does for the disciples right here. He calls them into spiritual battle. It says here, the disciples were sent out to preach, in verse 15, and have authority to cast out demons. Talk about a battle, right? And to cast out demons... I mean, sign me, sign me up for that mission today. Can you imagine? We, we've got a sign-up sheet in the back as you leave today. 
We're going on mission for Jesus, and we're going to be going out casting out demons. So just sign up as we leave. We're going to meet out there and give you the rundown on, on what we're going to be doing. And that was one of the unique things that the disciples were called to do. We know that that was one of Jesus' miracles was casting out demons. But the truth is, for us, there is demonic activity all around us. And we can forget that so easily. We are in a spiritual battle in this world. And, And you know who wants us to believe that it's no big deal? Who wants us to believe that it's no big deal? The devil, the enemy himself. But the truth is, Ephesians 6, 12, I want you to read this with me. Should be up there. Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is the truth. That is the reality in which we live. It might not always be obvious before us, but our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the darkness of this world. And we know also from John 10.10, says the thief, the enemy, comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. That's what he set out to do. A really nice guy, right? To steal, kill, and destroy. And we can easily lose sight that we are in this battle. And how do we see that around us? We see spiritual attack. We see a spiritual battle on marriages and families. If there's one thing the enemy is going to seek to do is, is to destroy families. To put a rift in, in relationships to disunify us in our families. Kids against parents, husbands against wives, wives against husbands, whatever that might look like. We see that, that battle coming out through God's design for marriage, the attack on marriage that we see in our culture, that marriage can just be whatever we want to make it to be, and throwing out God's design for marriage. We see lies the enemy is... is is spreading about human sexuality and gender. We see even in the church, division in the church worldwide, of course, but sadly in, in many local churches, as has been experienced over the past couple years through the pandemic, over political decisions, over pandemic decisions, over racial tensions. It's a battle. Satan would love nothing more Wow, they're really going at it over there, aren't they? Proclaim God's word into this battle that we're in. But Satan would love nothing more than to tear Christians apart because he knows the power of what we looked at last week. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And you know, one of the greatest threats in this battle, I believe, that we don't see as clearly, is spiritual apathy. Spiritual apathy. This idea that, well, I'm, I'm a good enough person. I, I look religious. 2 Timothy 3.5 5 talks about this. It says that in the last days, some will have the appearance of godliness, 
but denying its power. And that is a dangerous place to live. Denying the power of God, just having that appearance of evil, or that appearance of, of godliness, that appearance of goodness, that appearance of looking good on the outside, looking religious, but denying the power of God. And some churches have a sign over the door as you leave that says, you are now entering the mission field. And I, I love that. One of the churches near where I grew up had a sign like that. Every time you leave, you see that. Or be reminded that you're entering the mission field. But I think there could be a sign alongside it that says, you are now entering the battlefield. And I don't want that to scare us. I want that to motivate us because the good news is that we don't enter the battlefield alone, do we? We, we go together, and that's why I'm so grateful for trail life is because we're entering this battle together, aren't we? That's why I'm so grateful for the church that as we come together week after week and worship the Lord, our Savior, to lift up his name, to proclaim his name, we're united and we leave united. And most importantly, Jesus goes with us. Jesus is with us. He, he promises that. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we don't have to fear that battle. We know that he goes before us. And I want to leave you with three, three takeaways or three action steps as we apply this now, as we prepare to go the first is to be aware of the battle around you. I think that's the, one, of, one of the things that, that reasons we often forget is because we're not aware. We don't, we don't recognize the battle that's raging around us. And to be aware of what 1 Peter 5, 7 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour so it starts with, with being aware, going from this place, realizing that, yeah, we live in a broken world. There is a battle all around us, and to be aware. But second, to pray, to pray in the name of Jesus. What if we spent less time worrying and more time praying? That really hit me this week as all of the news about Ukraine and Russia was coming out and, and a, a big part of me wanted to just kind of stay glued to the news. And I realized that as I was watching the news, like how much of the news is just continually repeated, right? Like over, you know, over a couple hours, there might be new things here and there, but so much of it is just repeated again and said in a different way just to, to keep you drawn in. And it's important to be aware. It's important to stay updated but what if we turned off the news? What if we learned what we need to learn, turned off the news, and prayed? Prayed in the name of Jesus. That's my challenge for you. And, and if there's anything we've learned over the past two years of the pandemic is that the, the news hasn't really helped much, has it? And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't be aware of the news and what's happening around the world. We need to. But God doesn't in intend for us to sit in that fear and in that worry and wondering what's going to happen next. 
He calls us to our knees. And we have the powerful name of Jesus. It says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess at the name of Jesus that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thank you, Ken. Pray in the name of Jesus. I, I urge you throughout your days, and I'm not talking about that you have to you know, block off a whole half hour or an hour or whatever it is during the day. If, if, if you do, that's wonderful. But as you go throughout your days, turn your thoughts into prayers. If you hear something, pray. We are in constant conversation with God. Pray in the name of Jesus, in the powerful name of Jesus. And number three, to go today in the power of Jesus. This is the best part of it all. 1 John 4.4. It says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Is, does that help you? Does that fuel you for the mission that you are going into? That as we leave here into the battlefield, what a promise that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Maybe go forth in that reality today to know that our salvation cannot be taken from us, our peace, our trust in Jesus Christ. If we lose everything else in this world, we have him. And if you don't know him today, if you don't have him living inside of you, call out to him today. I think sometimes we overcomplicate becoming a believer, becoming a Christian, and it's as simple as calling upon the name of Jesus for salvation, for forgiveness, for grace and mercy. He's already paid the price for you on the cross once and for all. He already rose from the dead in victory over sin and death and the power of the enemy. And we go forth today with his presence. He is living inside of us. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. I'm going to invite the team up as we prepare to close. And as we do, I'm going to pray for each of us today that we would be strengthened in this mission, in this battle in which God has called us. God, we thank you that you choose us. You choose us first and foremost to be your children. We are so undeserving, but you've saved us in your grace. God, you've sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins so that we can be saved, so that we can have the promise of eternal life. But you've also saved us for a purpose, and you choose us to go into this world to fulfill your mission on this earth, to take the good news, that salvation, to proclaim it to the world around us. Pray that you would continually, day by day, equip us for that. Give us the strength that we need to enter into the battle and to declare your name, to spread the message of your hope and your peace that we can have through you. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.